0: Hi everyone, Siobhan Chapman here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Last week was very eventful in financial markets with the Fed's FOMC meeting, a lot of economic data and nearly 40% of the S&P 500's market cap reporting quarter four earnings, including five of the magnificent seven companies. Here to discuss all of that and provide a vibe check on the economy is Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas. Jason, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Good morning, Sean. Uh, Siobhan, uh, happy Monday. Good to be here.
0: Happy Monday, Jason. Let's get started. First, Jason, I want to start with the outcome of the Fed meeting. Surprised investors when Chairman Jay Powell said that the start of the rate cuts was unlikely to begin in March. What is CIO's thinking on what the Fed will do?
1: Well, that was probably the most surprising kind of outcome of the the meeting. Everything was kind of going roughly according to expectations until finally uh, you know, Powell made a comment that yeah, it's unlikely that the the cuts would start in, in March. That shouldn't be the base case. Uh, the, th- the thing he kind of got into it was that the Fed would want to keep all options on the table. The market probability was roughly 50-50, you know, the day prior to the meeting starting. Um, so I kind of rocked the boat to, so to speak, you know, and kind of say something like this. Uh, the fact that he did was the surprising point. And, and then he did a 60 minutes interview where he reiterated kind of the same point that March was, was unlikely. You know, from our view and CIO, this doesn't really kind of change what we were thinking Our expectation was that the first cut wouldn't happen until May. The economic data simply would be too strong or not weak enough uh, for them to justify cut beginning in March. Uh, So that that doesn't sort of change how we think about it. Uh, There is sort of a concern as a result of the Fed sort of taking March off the table, saying they need to be more confident that inflation is going to trend lower and stay around the the 2% target, that it has raised a little bit of concerns about a potential policy error Meaning the Fed would keep rates for too high for too long, despite evidence of either a slowing economy or inflation trending in the right direction, and a policy error would also mean that you know you, you increase the risk of recession at some point later on. Uh, we don't think that's you know likely. I mean, you know, there's always been a risk of a policy error, but I think you know this might be a little bit more concerned in investors' minds and in, in reality, uh, and that's kind of three reasons why I would say that. First is a slight delay. When we're talking about six weeks from, you know, mid March to the beginning of May when a cut could first occur. It doesn't really change the fundamental outlook that we have for the economy and for the Fed this year. You know, we expect growth is going to hold up fine. Uh, we expect disinflation to continue. And ultimately, that's going to allow the Fed to start cutting rates. Uh, you now whether they end up cutting four, as we assume, or three times or five times is going to depend on the economic data uh, and the labor market. The stronger the labor market, you know, the less the Fed does, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because the economy is doing quite well in that case. So again, this slight change doesn't kind of alter the overall, like that's that's one thing, so to not really kind of think of policy here is more likely. A second factor is that in Powell's press conference, he also said that solid growth isn't a deterrent to starting to cut rates, the labor market can be resilient and they can still cut rates because they have confidence that inflation is going to come down. There were points in time last year when Powell had commented that they needed to see weakness in the labor market in order to be confident uh to start cutting rates. So it's a little bit, you know, that they just need to see the inflation data be more sustainably lower. They don't have to see growth really slow down. So I think that's an important point. Um, and the third thing is that the Fed sort of put, meaning the Fed's ability to kind of step in and sort of uh, intervene if the economy slows down, that's still very much kind of alive and well. Um, up until recently when inflation was still elevated, they had to focus primarily on inflation. Now that inflation is trending towards 2%, they can focus kind of equally on both sides of their dual mandate, which is price stability and full employment. So now if there's any signs of weakness, sustained weakness on the labor market, they can act aggressively uh either by cutting rates quite a bit. They can stop QT immediately. They have facilities they can now deal with in any sort of surprise surges and banking stress. So from the market perspective, that Fed put is still there, even if they don't have to activate it just because the economy is doing well. So the overall takeaway from the Fed meeting is no real change in our view. Fed cuts started in May. Uh, and in terms of a policy here, you know, that was existed before and it still exists now. It's difficult to kind of get it right to figure out when exactly start to start cut to avoid the economy from overheating again, but also avoiding things to slow down too much. Um And that's just the reality of of dealing with policy right now.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your insights on that, Jason. So turning to the economy, the data also surprised last week. But to the upside, what does that say about the state of the soft landing?
1: Well, uh, across a variety of data points, the most prominent being the January payrolls report, data has been consistent kind of surprising to the upside. We also saw that with the ISM Manufacturing Index, which ticked a little bit above expectations. And the new orders component of that was actually above 50, is about 52 and a half, its highest level in about 20 months. So there's signs that the manufacturing sort of recession or mild contraction over the past year plus is now kind of coming to an end. Uh, On the payroll side, uh, you know, the thoughts would be the job market report for January would be solid, but it exceeded expectations. Uh, They increased by uh, 353,000, jobs in January. The consensus was expecting 168,000, or or sorry, it was 168,000 above consensus, which was around 180,000. And the prior two months for November and December were combined revised 126,000 higher. So a strong report, you know, all things considered. What really caught investors attention was the average hourly earnings increased 0.6% a month over month or it rose to four and a half percent year over year, which was the highest reading since last September. Uh, this kind of raises concerns again about maybe the economy is, is running too hot. The Fed can't cut rates at all. Maybe, you know, there's a risk that they do cut it. We accelerate. Um, So in some sense, that was a bit of a concerning data point. Uh, But if you actually get into the details of the wage data in particular, it likely overstates the inflation pressures there. In the month of January, the average hours worked per week actually went down a little bit, whereas the total wages for the week stayed constant. And just mechanically then, it's going to lead to higher average hourly earnings, if that's the case. And it appears that it was weather was the primary reason why the average hours worked per week was declined. So a bit of a idiosyncratic one-off that shouldn't repeat. Um, if we look at a at a broader measure of uh, wage inflation, at the employment cost index, it comes out quarterly. That was released last week. That actually surprised to the downside, meaning it was 0.9 percent quarter over quarter. Consensus was expecting 1 percent, and in the third quarter it was at 1.1 percent. So that's the broadest measure of unwage inflation. Uh and it is trending lower and it's actually supplies to the downside. So do you think the overall picture for the labor market last week was in solid but not necessarily accelerating? So in terms of then of like what does it say about the state of the soft landing, well the data tells us the economy is not really slowing down very much. Uh right now uh the Atlanta Fed has a GDP tracking estimate for Q1 that's at four point two percent. This is after the economy grew 3.3% in the fourth quarter. So strong momentum on the growth front, yet uh, disinflation seems to be progressing. So again, the, the, the soft landing right now still looks on track, but could always be disrupted because of some external event, because of a pause here by the Fed. But right now, things are looking pretty good for the landing.
0: Keeping with the state of the economy, you recently published a blog titled Vibe Check in which you discuss how the Vibe session appears to be over and Vibe expansion has begun. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, this term, Vibe Sessions, was coined uh, in 2022 kind of on social media, and the idea was to try and kind of describe how people were feeling sort of pessimistic about the economy despite the data suggesting it's actually doing well, whether you measure it by strong GDP growth or job gains. And thinking back to 2022, you know, the pessimism certainly is understandable because inflation was approaching 10%. As a result, real power was dropping. A gallon of gas is over $5 in many parts of the country, and quite a bit of over $5, um housing affordability and rents you know, kind of the worst in, in many, many years and in, in generations in some cases. So people felt and they were actually poor, um, even though the economy was doing well. So you can understand why there was this kind of the overall mood seemed to be somewhat pessimistic. What we've seen, though, in, the, in very recently is that the sentiment that's been kind of disconnected from the solid economic data that I just discussed, there's been the gap is starting to close a, a little bit, meaning that, in, you know, sentiment by a variety of measures is starting to improve. Kind of most prominently in where this sort of vibe session ending, vibe, vibe expansion beginning kind of took off was a couple of weeks ago when the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index was released and it showed a pretty big jump, better than expected for the month of January and it rose in December. And now if you look at it versus its lows in the middle of 2022 when the term vibe session was coined, it's quite a bit off those lows. And this sort of makes sense. You know, inflation is not at 9% anymore. It's down around, you know, 3%. Um the average price of gas is, you know, about three and a half dollars across the country, well below the five dollars it was before. Interest rates fell and you see mortgage rates now at the lowest in, in about a year, so housing affordability, at least marginally has improved a little bit. So the overall sentiment is starting to, to improve and therefore the five session, some would claim perhaps is over and the vibe expansion can begin. And that was really kind of the basis of the the blog vibe check. These are nice terms, interesting kind of, you know, ways to kind of describe things. It's hard to kind of quantify what it means. But in the blog, I tried to be a little more systematic to look at different aspects of the economy overall, but also the participants to like, how would I describe their vibe? You know, the Fed clearly has, or well, the economy has kind of good vibrations, as I characterize it, just because, you know, we're on that track for that soft landing. Uh, the Fed, we discussed, I think it's, you know, kind of, I call it sort of the cool dad, and that it, it's out there kind of supporting the markets There's the Fed put. But there is a risk that it could become a sort of buzzkill if it makes a policy error. We're seeing consumers and business sentiment are feeling better. They're kind of getting groovy. Uh, And the last is investors. I think they're feeling happy. It's really nice to see your portfolio and the S&P up 13 in the last 14 weeks. But I think there is a bit of fear that this buzz will wear off. Uh, And you can see that in sort of various positioning data, you know, hedge funds are adding risk in terms of single securities, but they're not making big bets on the overall direction of the markets. So you know maybe where that you know things are run up quite a bit. You're seeing in the options markets, investors you know want to get upside exposure in case the S&P continues to go higher, but they're doing that by kind of buying call options to get the upside as opposed to outright buying the markets overall. And it, they're also not necessarily buying puts to provide downside protection because they're not adding that additional exposure. And I think the most notable thing, just in terms of tier fund flows. Is in the month of January, retail investors, uh, added 170 billion into money market funds, but only 37 billion into U.S. equity funds. So that kind of tells you where people are putting their money more to cash than they are to equity markets. So feeling good, but also not sort of jumping in, you know, sort of into euphoric, uh, you know, state. I think it's not sort of bubble territory overall. That's, that's the way I think best way to describe it. So good vibes in general and good for the outlook
0: as we come to the end of our conversation jason what does this mean for the markets and the investment outlook
1: well i think the macro outlook that we see this year which is in trend growth roughly trend growth in the u.s uh ongoing disinflation and fed rate cuts that's kind of a a good combination for risk assets positive for risk assets in addition we have this ai sort of tailwind that's lifting certainly parts of the markets you know important parts of the market like in the tech sector the combination of the macro and let's say the AI micro is a good in for the markets this year. Uh, you know, we can see, you know, uh, periodic pullbacks in the markets, whether it's due to disappointing economic data or Fed communication. But unless the big picture on the macro is altered, and that's certainly possible, um, it's likely that the markets, any kind of pullbacks will be bought and any dips will be bought by investors. Uh, it almost seems so far this year that the markets can barely sell off without that happening. Uh, all we have to do is look at last week Uh during the press conference, so the, the Fed press conference when Jay Powell made the comment about a March hike is unlikely. You could see equities sell off, you know, rates decline. Uh That should be maybe a bit of a tailwind or headwind for the markets. But By Friday, you know, two days later, even after a really strong jobs report that kind of word raised concerns about overheating, the S&P still closed higher for the week. So it barely sold off for a day or so. I think that's kind of the environment we are in. Uh, what it means, though, for investing, given these kind of levels of the markets overall, given where interest rates are, we still recommend uh, buying kind of quality stocks and quality bonds. Yet, given this Goldilocks environment continues to persist, I think the way to sort of position for that, of course, is to look for small caps. And even emerging market equities could could benefit from that from a global perspective. Um, you know, there's sometimes comparisons I've seen to the late 1990s as the market's going kind to of run up. But stocks aren't nearly as expensive today as they were back in 1990 and early 2000. And their earnings look far more sustainable and the fundamentals are sort of stronger, at least for corporate earnings. So uh, the path at least resistance is for the markets to go higher during the course of this year um, and certainly in the, in the near term, um, even though we're not without significant risks along the way.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Jason, and providing your insight for our listeners.
1: You're welcome. Have a great week.